John chapter 4, it says when, that's what it's giving us the when here, when therefore the Lord knew how that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. The, the tenses are he was continually making, continually baptizing more disciples than John. Over in chapter 3, 26, John's disciples said, all men are coming to him. And it says, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea. Interesting, the idea is abruptly. He, he turns, he leaves Judea, and he departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy food. And you know the woman will say, How is this? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, you're asking me for something. How are you going to, uh, you know, he said, if, if you'd have known who you're talking to, you'd have asked me, I'd have given you living water to drink. And in the culture, living water was the spring or it was moving, it was bubbling. She said, the well is deep. You have anything to draw with. Where are you going to get this living water from? And he takes her into this conversation. And he'll finally say, now, call your husband. I'm not married. He knows all this. And you think, I think of all the things the church would say to her. She's living in open adultery. She's been married five times. And Jesus compliments her. I don't have a husband. He says, thou hast well said. He, he finds a compliment. He said, that's because you've had five, and the guy you're living with now you're not married to. And, of course, she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. So there's this whole scene that develops, but it begins by telling us that you must needs go through Samaria. He abruptly left Judea. He abruptly left Judea because he needed to go through Samaria. He must needs go through it. And that was not geographical. That was by divine appointment. He had to go through, through Samaria. Because it was a prodigal daughter. We hear, of course, in Luke of the prodigal son. And how the father watches and sees him afar off and loves him. Jesus saw this woman afar off. She's a prodigal daughter. Nicodemus had come to him seeking him. Master, we, we know you're sent from God. This woman, on the other side of the coin, Jesus seeks her. He leaves the 99. He goes after the one. 
I don't know everybody who comes and everybody who listens. I don't know everyone who's worn out, who's in a relationship they shouldn't be in. I don't know everyone who feels like if people knew, they'd have nothing to do with me. I don't know everyone here who feels weary in their journey, weary with sin, weary with life, weary with health, weary in a hundred different ways. But he gives us this. His disciples are sent away to get food. When they return, either the woman, and it may well be, or Jesus fills them in on everything that takes place. There's a need. As you go through the Gospel of John, it says he must needs do this. He must do this. He must be crucified and rise again the third day. He must do the Father's will. And here it says he must needs go through Samaria. There's a divine appointment. He must needs do this because you and I wouldn't have John chapter 4 and the woman at the well if he didn't do it. He must needs do this because it's going to tell us over in verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he bowed with them for two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves. No miracles. We have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. He needed to go through there because he will tell his disciples on Pentecost, wait until you're endued with power, that you might be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth because when Philip would come to Samaria there was always already this huge crowd that had believed there was this woman who was telling the story and as they were amazed and they were getting saved it says the church in Jerusalem heard the Gentiles the Samaritans so they send Peter and John, who had already been there in this scene. And John gives us the record. Must needs be that he go through this area. Amazing probably to many because the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. When Jeroboam and Rehoboam split the kingdom, Solomon's sons, Jeroboam took the northern ten tribes, Rehoboam in the south with Judah, Benjamin, 
And Jeroboam sent up idolatrous altars, golden calves. Jeroboam was afraid that the north would go to Jerusalem to worship, so he created a, a separate worship. And because of their idolatry and Samaria, this city, not the territory here, becomes the headquarters, the Lord allows the Assyrians to come in and they carry away the northern ten tribes. And the Assyrians' normal procedure was when, they, when there was conquest, when they conquered any group of people, they carried them away, they displaced them, but then they brought in people they had conquered in other areas and put them there. They didn't want the ground to go to waste. They didn't want the crops to go to waste because they would pay uh, the Assyrians you know, a, a tax in grain and so forth. So the Assyrians brought all of these other people and implanted them there in the northern part of Israel. And they were idolatrous. But what they realized, it tells us, as they were attacked by lions, as there was drought, they realized we need to know how to worship the God of this land because they believed gods were territorial. So remarkably, they send for one of the priests who's in captivity, who when he was in Samaria and Israel didn't teach them the right thing. Now he has to come back and teach those in this area how to worship Jehovah. So this group develops, and it's a hybrid, these Samaritans. They embraced the first five books of Moses, but they believed, and there was a temple that was built on Mount Gerizim. There's a Muslim mosque there but today, but there was a temple there. And they taught that on that mountain, Eden was there. They taught it was on Mount Gerizim where Noah's Ark landed. They taught on Mount Gerizim, that's where Abraham offered Isaac. They taught Mount Gerizim was the place they should worship, that God appointed. And the Jews disdained them. When the Jews come back from the Babylonian captivity under Zerubbabel, you remember the Samaritans come and want to help them, and they refuse them, want anything to do with them. So there's a disparity and antagonism between them. Josephus tells us in this day when the Galileans went back and forth from Jerusalem for the mandatory feast, there were several ways they could go. They could go on the other side of the Jordan where the Judeans, the religious Jews, would cross over. They want to even go through Samaria. The Galileans normally went through Samaria, and this well of Jacob was on that journey. And there were 500 Roman garrisons that guarded Roman roads, and it was a Roman road there that you could travel. And it only took three days to go from Jerusalem to Galilee on that road. It was much longer on the other side. And there was also the Via Maris. There was a, a road over on the coast by the sea. Jesus now, leaving Judea, baptizing all men are coming to him. He's on this road if he left at daybreak, which would have been normal, he's been traveling for at least six hours at this point in time. And he's headed through Samaria. Not geographically, not because he wants to make a faster journey, but because he wants to meet this woman. And as he goes through the area, he comes, it says... 
He cometh to a city of Samaria. Now, the ancient city was Samaria, the the idolatrous city which was gone is destroyed. So now the area, the territory is called Samaria. And he comes to a certain city there called Sikar, near Sikar, depending on, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son probably the present Askar that's there. This parcel of ground is between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, where in Deuteronomy they put the Ark of the Covenant and they pronounced the blessings that would come on Mount Gerizim and the cursings on Mount Ebal, and they said, you choose. And now for the first time, the Ark of the Covenant is back between those mountains, of course, the Holy of Holies and the person of Jesus Christ. He is there. And it tells us in verse 6, Now, Jacob's well was there. The, the Greek is Jacob's spring, and there's a reason, was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well... And it was about the sixth hour. So he's been on this earthly trek for about six hours from the area south there now to this well. Jacob's well in Israel today is one of the most legitimate biblical sites. It's hard because of the tension now between the 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 Muslims and the Jews to get into that area. I've been to Shiloh just remarkable where the Ark of the Covenant was. And you can kind of look north from there and see parts of Mount Gerizim. Right past that is where this well was, Jacob's well. Today it's under a Greek Orthodox church. It's been cleaned out. It was full of debris and trash. It's been restored. It's 105 feet deep, carved through limestone, about nine foot wide. doesn't tell us that Jacob did it, but it was done by hand. Somebody with hammer and chisel carved down. And it's interesting because the woman's going to say to Jesus, the well is deep. And indeed it is. But today, if you go there, there's a plate over the top, and there's a small opening in it, and you can they'll let down a bucket of water and pull it up, and it's clean enough and refreshing enough to drink. And you go that well there, if you can get there. And you can still drink from that well. Jacob's well was there. And it tells us this being, now it's called a spring because at the bottom of Jacob's well, there's living water that comes into it. Any spring or water that's moving is considered living water. And it feeds that well. Remarkably, it says, Jesus, therefore, look, being wearied with his journey. How many of us, like this woman of Samaria, are wearied with their journey? Being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour. The Greek is interesting. Chrysostom tells us where it says he sat thus. The idea is he flopped down. He's he's weary. 
the, the Greek is in the perfect tense. It's having become wearied and still in that condition. It's, it's ongoing. He's weary. And he plops down there at the well. Evidently, it's at this point, and, and the way that's written is, is eyewitness. John was there. Now, at this point, the disciples are sent away to go into the village to get food. All kinds of people say, well, no, John must have stayed there because he wrote this and they'd never leave Jesus alone. It wasn't dangerous then. There were Romans that guarded the road. Jesus would have got water for him and John if it was John was still there. He sends them away. Somewhere in that journey, the 12 disciples walking, there's a woman with a stone jar on her head coming in the other direction, and either she crosses to the other side of the road or they cross to the other side of the road because Jews and Samaritans have nothing to do with each other. We know the attitude of the disciples. Two of them get named Bo and Jerry's. Lord, call down fire on Samaria and destroy them. That, that way, when we want to make a reservation, it'll be much easier, you know, in the future. We're going to get a Motel 6. But Jesus does something different. He says, yeah, the religious attitude is the cross of the other side of the road. There's a man beaten up. He's laying by the side of the road. And a Levite comes and a priest, and he crossed the other side of the road and go by him. But a good Samaritan... He comes and binds up his wounds. And he takes him to an inn. And he pays the innkeeper to look after him. He says, if, if you need any more on my way back, I'll make it up to you. Jesus understood. And it says he's weary here. In the Father's will must needs go to Samaria. It was the Father's will now that he is wearied. Just try to imagine that. This is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. This is the Creator. This is the Word. John tells us in the first chapter, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We're told in Hebrews, and it's significant for us, it says, Wherefore, in all things it behooveth him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, making reconciliation for the sins of the people. It behooveth him. We're told in Philippians, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant, a slave, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He flops down here at this well. He's wearied. 
We don't know how much activity preceded this, but his physical frame at this point in time, he, 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 he just kind of flops down. And they go in to secure some food, and he's sitting there. We're told in different places that he was hungry. Satan came and tempted him and said, turn these stones to bread. We're told coming out of Jerusalem at one point, he looks at a fig tree and says he's hungry. He understands that. Tells us when the storm comes on the Sea of Galilee that he's asleep. That's tired. In the back of the boat. It tells us that Simon Cyrene had to carry the cross for him because his physical frame was failing. It tells us on the cross, he said, I thirst. I thirst. Tells us this in Isaiah. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. And yet he puts on human skin. He puts on this human frame. He wears our humanity, and he's wearing it today at the right hand of the Father. It's glorified now, but he's still wearing it. We have this picture here, the intersection of two weary travelers. He's come from eternity. He's wearied in his journey. He has a particular journey that they don't understand. And he needed to come to Samaria, and he needed to get there by a certain time. He had pushed himself for a number of hours, and he would come there because this woman's going to come. And there's a divine appointment. Timing is involved. Like when Abraham sent Eleazar to go to get a a bride for Isaac. It was at the well. It was perfect timing. They showed up at the well at the same time. Jacob and Rachel, same time at the well. Moses and Zephorah, same time at the well. All of the patriarchs experienced divine guidance, perfect timing. And it is in this scene as well that God brings together these two weary travelers. His own son and human flesh, God's will at this point that he's weary, he sits here, and this woman who God is not forsaken. She's been married five times and she's living in adultery. We have to be careful sometimes, I think. How many of us would run David out of town? Murder, adultery. Already had nine wives, by the way, by the time that happened. How many of us would have run him off? And we're we're to use church discipline in the church. We're to be wise. We're to, we're, to, we're to exercise those things in the name of the Lord. But we have to watch him as well. This woman, no doubt her first marriage, she had hopes. She cleaned house. She had hopes. 
For whatever reason, it disintegrated. Another try, second marriage. Had she held the same hopes, but they they faded more quickly because she had been through it. The third marriage, the fourth marriage, the fifth marriage. And now living with a man. And all that time drinking at the wrong well. It was the well of men. She thought she could be satisfied there. That the thirst she had was for relationships and she could be satisfied there. And Jesus is going to say, you know, if you'd have come to me and drank, you'd have never thirsted again. He knows her. Listen. I don't know what you're going through this morning. But he's willing to weary himself. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. To cross paths with you. He hasn't changed. I don't know if your whole family has pushed you aside. I don't know what you've experienced growing up. Maybe she couldn't succeed in a marriage because she had been sexually abused as a little girl. Maybe there was no father in the home and she just hungered and hungered and hungered. Each poor husband trying to make that man fill the responsibility that the father should have fulfilled in her life. I don't know that. She's broken. Jesus knows that. She's broken. And she's wounded. And he wearies himself. He must needs go through Samaria to get there. The hymn that I love says this, Pass me not, O gracious Father, sinful though my heart may be. Thou mightest leave me, but rather let thy mercy light on me. Pass me not, O tender Savior. Let me live and cling to thee. I am longing for thy favor. Whilst thou art calling me, have I long in sin been sleeping, long been slighting, grieving thee? Has the world my heart been keeping? Oh, forgive and rescue me. Love of God so pure and changeless, blood of Christ so rich and free, grace of God so strong and boundless, Magnify it all in me. Pass me not, this lost one bringing. Bind my heart, O Lord, to thee. Whilst the streams of life are springing, gladden others, gladden me. One weary traveler running into another. Unusual, unnormal for a Jewish rabbi to talk to a woman, let alone a Samaritan, alone. All of those kind of rules of piety are set aside as we look at this scene. She comes alone. 
noonday, the women would come together with other women to draw water, always in the morning, always in the evening, probably because she's a social outcast, living in open adultery. She comes to draw water. And as she comes, there's a Jewish man there. She doesn't know who he was. I guarantee you she's thinking, oh, great. Got enough trouble back home, and I come here to get away and for privacy to get some water, and there's a Jew sitting here. I guarantee you she was thinking something like that. He was weary from a long journey. He had come to meet her face to face. And there was no beauty or comeliness in him that she should recognize him or know who he was. And she comes. And he says to her, give me to drink. Look in verse 7. There cometh a woman, not a harlot, not a wretch, a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus says to her, give me to drink the fountain of life, asking for water. Jesus would say in chapter 7, any man who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of his inmost being shall flow rivers of living water. But here now, like he did on the cross, he says, give me to drink, I thirst. What perfect timing to see these two come together at this scene. If you'd have asked her in the morning what she was doing, where she was going, she'd have said to draw water. If you asked her on the way back where she had gone. She'd have said, I had gone to meet the Savior. He comes to us in the every ordinary experiences of life. We have to be careful. The things that we can consider mundane, mending our nets, threshing grain, drawing water. And there he sits, maybe not recognizable, as Isaiah says, no beauty, no comeliness, as ordinary as the circumstance. But he comes, he must needs do that for each one of us. One weary traveler come to another. And if you're weary today, look, weary from sin, it's secret. Maybe a few people know, maybe nobody knows. And you're worn out. He put this to the page. He made sure it came to our hand. He knew we would be here this morning, and he knew you would be here this morning. And as we watch him, you know, he's weary 
in ministry. He's never weary of ministry. He's, he's weary physically in an earthly frame. He's weary in serving his father. He's never weary of serving his father. And if you're weary today, I encourage you to sit down at the well with him. You know who he is. She didn't. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's been a long journey, go. He's weary. In Luke, the disciples have said, we've fished all night, we've toiled. The same word, weary. Tells us that our labor, weariness, is not in vain. More than that, Jesus says, all you who labor, you're wearied and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. He wearied himself beyond what we know to come to us. And the weariness here would be multiplied as he hung on the cross and bore our sins and was forsaken. Whatever you're weary of, listen, you come to him like Calvary Chapel. Sit alone with him today. You know, you, you you have this idea that he's done with you. He doesn't want anything to do with you. You've been married five times, you're living in adultery. Whatever your sin is. He leaves the 99. He goes after the one who's gone astray. Jesus tells us that God is like the father watching for his son. When he sees his son, he runs and he kisses him and he weeps and he throws his arms around him. If I told you God was like that, it would be blasphemous. But Jesus says he's the one who comes down from above, who's seen all things, who knows the father. And he tells us that's who God is in our lives. Come home. Not the church. Come home. Your father's house. He's wearied himself to intersect you. Your path. Your weary path. Weary travelers. That happened today. It's not me. I didn't write this. He put it to the page. He knew this story of living water would be told through a thousand generations. And it's with great detail that it comes to us. That detail is so we can see his heart. He must come and sit by you. He must because of who he is. Let it be one weary traveler meeting another. And he's thirsting for something from you. 
your heart, your life, your redemption, your well-being. When the disciples are going to come back and bring the food, he's not hungry. He said, I was here and did the Father's will. I have food to eat that you know not of. What filled him was the life of this woman who went back and led all of Samaria to Jesus. She's the mother of the church there that we'll study in the book of Acts. Who knows? He's come to your life as well. We're going to stand. We're going to pray. We'll sing a last song. Please read through this account. We're going to take some time and and go through it and search it out and look at it. You're weary this morning. You know that. Maybe nobody else around you knows how weary you are. And we can be weary with sin. We can be weary in relationships. We can be weary from physical illness. We can be weary from age. We can be weary from all kinds of things, but he must needs weary himself to intersect your journey. You don't have to believe what I'm saying this morning. It's your choice. You have to believe this. You have to believe this. God's word never fails. And this word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Please don't turn away from him today. Maybe you're a Christian and you're just snarled up with sin. You're backslidden. You're AWOL. You're a prodigal. He's intersecting your your path this morning. Two weary travelers are face to face right now. You have to decide what to do with that. Maybe you're here and you've never come to Jesus. Samaritans and Jews never meet. How's it going to happen? And you're weary. You're tired. You fool everybody else around you. But when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, you're gone. Tank is empty. Running on fumes. What's the point of living? Weary. Trying to draw water somewhere alone. Alone. What a plague loneliness is in this nation. He loves you. He's come on a long journey from eternity to cross paths with you. I encourage you before you leave this morning, if you want to come up and pray with the pastors, we'll be here. We'd love to give you a Bible. But if you're willing to repent and turn away from all of that, in your weariness and turn to him. He'll give you living water to drink. 
Let's bow our hearts. Lord, I know you've overheard, Lord. We, we look into these things, and there's, Lord, a thousand facets. It's like a diamond with unending facets. There's so much, Lord, of who you are. There's so much treasure. There's so much tenderness. There's so much grace. We almost are afraid, Lord to open up to it, Lord. There's no human grace or tenderness like this. Lord, we can't imagine you wearying yourself, Lord, to draw close to us, Lord. Sometimes we just want to get away from ourselves, Lord. We can't stand looking in the mirror. But you've come, Lord. A physician, the great physician to lay down your life and to bring sinners to repentance do it in us Lord afresh for those of us that are believers that have wandered Lord do it for those that may be here Lord that have never known you if you've gotten their hearts away from religion and church and gotten their hearts, Lord Jesus, today to you, Lord. Speak to them. Lord, we trust you to do these things in our lives and in the lives of others. We know, Lord, when we see you face to face, we're going to be filled with wonder beyond human expression. We love you and we pray in your name, Lord. Amen.